From third grade through about fifth grade, I played basketball on a little league team called the Warriors. Now, when I say that I played basketball, what I really mean is I sat on the bench until the team was up by at least 20 points. Uh, Then and only then was I able to show the world what I was really made of. Now, on Sunday morning, I'm going to show a photo of my Little League team to our church. And this photo is actually a prized possession of mine. Not because I'm in it, although I was a pretty cute kid, uh, but because an NBA all-star is in it. I've shared this story with several members of our church, but one of the kids in the photo is Blake Griffin. Uh, Blake Griffin currently plays for the Brooklyn Nets, and he previously played for the Detroit Pistons and the L.A. Clippers before that. So now you know why I rarely saw any game time. I grew up playing Little League with Blake Griffin. (laughs) Regardless of how good or bad any of us were, we all had one thing in common. So around 1998, the greatest basketball player of all time was still in his prime, and we all wanted to be like him. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. Even if you rode the bench like I did, you had dreams of becoming the next Michael Jordan. We all wore the shoes with the Jumpman logo on them, and uh, we all lied to our friends about being able to dunk the ball when nobody else was looking. (laughs) In a lot of ways, the Christian life is similar to basketball. Now hear me out for just a moment. When I was baptized into Christ, I thought I was unstoppable. I remember being so fired up about Jesus that I had no problem inviting all my friends to church on Wednesday nights because I wanted them to experience what I was experiencing in my own life. Now, as I grew in my faith, I learned that my sinful nature, you know, the inward struggle that we've been talking about throughout this series, still followed me as I tried to follow Jesus. And regardless of how hard I tried to live the life that God wanted me to live, my sinful nature always seemed to rear its ugly head. And the inward struggle has never gone away. You know, if this is true of all of our lives, and the Bible says that it is, then an important question that we need to address today is this. Are we destined to live out our spiritual lives in the bitterness of defeat? Or can we experience real joy and victory in Christ? And if joy and victory in Christ is possible, how can we overcome the battle or the inward struggle inside of us? Even though they're similar in a few ways, Christianity and basketball are different in a whole lot more. For example, We can't earn our salvation by being an all-star. You know, we don't earn God's grace and forgiveness through performance. Instead, God's word teaches that you and I are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. In fact, that's what Paul wrote about in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When a person places their faith in Jesus, their eternity is secure. Um, They're set free from the law of sin, and they're positionally perfect before God. Not perfect, but positionally perfect. We're going to talk about all of these truths today. From a human perspective, you don't have to be the most valuable player on the team uh, to be accepted and used by God in a big way. You see, according to God's word, you and I are valuable players wherever God places us, however he chooses to use us. And since all Christians are headed for the same destiny, uh, the more pressing issue, I believe, is how can we live for Jesus today? Well, we're in week three of a series called The Struggle is Real. 
And through the Apostle Paul's writing and example in Romans 7, we've learned that the biggest problem, the biggest struggle that we face is not with our job, it's not with our circumstances, or with the difficult people in our lives. You know, those things are real struggles, but it's not the biggest struggle. You see, like Paul, our biggest struggle is with ourselves. In Romans 7, Paul used the word I 27 times in 12 verses. He wrote things like, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. I have the desire to do good, but I just can't carry it out. And the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So Paul clearly had an eye problem, and so do we. You see, even as Christians, especially as Christians, we're constantly living in tension between wanting to follow Jesus and following our sin nature. Our sin nature, that inward struggle, um, leads to a lot of damaging things in our lives. It leads to confusion. It leads to guilt and shame. It leads to compulsions and addictions. It leads to discouragement and despair. But thankfully, we learned last week that God has a battle plan for the battle inside of us. You see, as we deepen our understanding of Christ's work on the cross, we learn more and more about how God wants us to be forgiven and freed. Last week we said the only person who can break the chains and get the weight of sin off your back is Jesus. You see, it's not a what, it's a who. It's not a parenting class or a self-help book. It's a who. It's not a program. It's a person. It's Jesus. As we learn how to detect and disarm the lies that Satan feeds us. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. He lies to us about our identity in Christ. He, he lies to us and tells us that our sin really isn't that big of a problem. So as we learn how to detect and disarm the lies, we learn that for every lie we believe, there's a truth of God to counter it. God's word is our ultimate source of truth. God's word is the weapon that we have to combat the lies that Satan feeds us. As you and I learn to share our struggles with other Christians, and this one's hard, we experience the healing and the freedom that God desires in our lives. We learned last week that we confess to God for forgiveness. That's 1 John 1, 9. But we confess to others for healing. That's James 5, 16. So Romans chapter 7 gives us a clear picture of the defeated Christian with the last two verses acting as a bridge that leads into Romans 8. I would say if Romans 7 is a picture of the defeated Christian, then Romans 8 is a picture of the victorious Christian. Romans 8 is often referred to as the inspirational highlight of the book of Romans. Now, if you like the orchestra, uh, the truths that Paul wrote about in this chapter, well, they build like a symphony. Uh, The first movement reminds us about the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, who helps us overcome the battle within, who helps us overcome our sin nature. The second movement contrasts the defeated life that's led by the flesh with the victorious life that's led by the Holy Spirit. And finally, the third movement ends with praise because of the new life that we have in Christ. The amazing truths that Paul wrote about in Romans 8 are so important for our lives, especially if we're going to learn how to live for Jesus successfully. Today, we're going to be encouraged through Paul's words as we learn more about how God helps us overcome the battle within. Now, the bulk of today's message will come from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. We are going to look at the first 13 verses in Romans 8, but the primary focus will be these first four verses. 
So in these four verses, Paul shares three encouraging truths about our identity in Christ. Now, these truths act as the foundation for what it means to live for Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, the first truth is this. Christians are secure in Christ. Christians are secure in Christ. We see this in the very first verse. Paul wrote, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Romans 8 begins with the word, therefore. This is an important word. In fact, anytime you see the word, therefore, you need to stop and ask yourself, what's it there for? (laughs) This word reminds us that we need to understand the previous chapter if we're going to understand what Paul is about to say. So Paul ended Romans 7 with the two verses that we looked at last week. He says, what a wretched man I am. You know, Paul recognized that he couldn't live the Christian life on his own. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, Paul recognized that he couldn't live for God in his own strength. Yeah, I think we can all relate to his words in these two verses. And we've all struggled with sin. We've experienced the consequences of our actions. In verse 25, Paul built the bridge to Romans 8. And he did so by revealing that there's only one person who can set us free from the power and weight of sin in our lives. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then the very next verse in Romans 8 begins with the word, therefore. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though we're always going to have this inward struggle, you know, our sinful nature will always follow us as we follow Jesus. Um, and sometimes we may even feel like we lose the battle. Uh, the Christian will always be secure in Christ. You see, because of Christ's work on the cross, our sins have been forgiven and we are adopted children of God. The first truth that Paul wrote about in Romans 8 is that Christians are secure in Christ. But it's also the last truth at the very end of the passage. So Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, Paul wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even though one sin is enough to eternally condemn us, and we're all sinners, we're sinners by nature and by choice, Those who are truly in Christ are secure because of Christ's work on the cross. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The second encouraging truth about our identity in Christ is that Christians are set free from the law of sin. We're set free from the law of sin. You'll recognize this terminology because we've talked about it over the past two weeks. So we see this in verse 2, but I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 because they really do connect. Uh, So Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because of Christ's work on the cross, Christians are set free from the law of sin. Remember, the law of sin is the sin that's deep within us. This is our vulnerability to sin. The law of sin refers to everything within us that's loyal to our old selfish way of living instead of being loyal to God and his word. The law of sin describes that daily tension that we experience as Christians. 
I love talking with new believers because uh, their attitude and the way they describe their newfound faith is so encouraging. Uh, One thing that a lot of new believers say is something like this. They'll say, I feel like a heavy weight has been lifted off my shoulders. You know, when people say things like this, I think it's amazing, especially when you go back and read about Paul's experience in Romans 7. I mean, phrases like this describe a powerful experience that many of us can relate to. But the biblical and spiritual reality of what's taken place is that Christians are set free from the law of sin. On January 1st, 1863, our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, issued the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring that all slaves were now free. Now, if you have some time this week, I want to encourage you to look up and read the Emancipation Proclamation. It's kind of hard to read. You know, it's only been 160 years or so, but our language has changed a little bit. But it's an incredible document nonetheless. My wife loves history. Um, She really loves to dig in and learn more about what actually took place at different times throughout our country's history. And uh, she reminded me that although the slaves were declared free, many of them remained in slavery. Now, there's a number of reasons for this. Some of them didn't know what to do. Uh, Many of them were afraid. Some of them didn't really believe that they were free. And thousands of slaves didn't hear about the proclamation until years later. I share this with you because we do the exact same thing spiritually. God's word declares that those who are in Christ are freed from the power of sin or the law of sin. But too many of us are still living as though we're slaves to sin. The law of sin dictates and permeates everything the unsaved person does. But when a person puts their faith in Jesus, the shackles fall off and they're emancipated from their bondage. It's no wonder so many Christians weep and celebrate when they make the decision to believe in Jesus and be baptized into Christ. So being set free from the law of sin means that we now have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to reject and turn away from sin. You see, with God's help, we can resist temptation and we can choose to follow Jesus instead of following our sinful nature. So the eternal freedom that we experience, it begins in the heart and then it works itself out in the way that we live our lives. Now, remembering this truth that in Christ, you are set free from the law of sin, especially when you're going through a difficult season. Friends, that is so key. A third encouraging truth about our identity in Christ is that Christians are positionally perfect before God. I didn't say that Christians are perfect, but we are positionally perfect before God. And we see this truth in verses three and four. Paul wrote, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So these verses remind us that although God's law is perfect, it couldn't be perfectly obeyed by sinful people like you and I. But what we were unable to do, God did by sending his son. You see, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, completely fulfilling the law's requirements. He then took our place by dying a death that only we deserve. And after three days, he was raised from death providing a way for us to be reconciled to God. Paul is writing about an incredible truth here, that those who put their faith in Jesus are given his righteousness. This is a righteousness that we could never obtain on our own. This is a righteousness that delivers us from God's judgment. And because the Holy Spirit 
lives inside all those who are in Christ, and they're free to live in a way that glorifies and pleases God. Again, this doesn't mean that we're never going to sin, but it does mean that we're positionally perfect before God. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we will one day stand before God as though we never sinned. When God looks at us, he does so having looked at Christ's work first. Friends, this is amazing. You know, God knows that our behavior doesn't always match our position. You know, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. Um, you love your kids regardless of what they do, um, but they mess up, they make mistakes. God knows that our behavior doesn't always match our position as sons and daughters of the king. And that's why we're constantly reminded to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Man, this sounds a whole lot like what Paul wrote about in Romans 7 when he says, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. I have the desire to do good, but I just can't carry it out. This is why we need to be reminded that in Christ, we're positionally perfect before God. Yes, you're going to sin. You're going to mess up. Our inward struggle never really goes away. But because of Christ's work on the cross, we can confidently live for Jesus in this life. And we'll someday stand before God as though we never sinned. In fact, our perfect Savior is who makes us positionally perfect before God. Romans 8 begins with three encouraging truths about our identity in Christ. You know, these truths that Christians are secure in Christ, Christians are set free from the law of sin, and Christians are positionally perfect before God. They act as a foundation for what it means to live for Christ. This is the first movement of Romans 8. Well, the second movement contrast the defeated life that's led by the flesh with the victorious life that's led by the Holy Spirit. Let's first look at the defeated life that's led by the flesh. We see this in Romans 8, uh, the first half of verse 5, 6, and then verses 7 and 8. Paul wrote, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And then he goes on to say, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So did you catch what Paul was saying here? According to these verses, those who are led by the flesh are characterized by only thinking about worldly things. Their life ultimately leads toward eternal separation from God. They answer to no one but themselves. They oppose God's word. They oppose his plan for their lives. They live a defeated life that's led by the flesh, and as a result, they can't glorify or please God with anything that they do. Now, the victorious life that's led by the Holy Spirit, however, is completely different. We see this in Romans 8, the latter part of verse 5, 6, and then verses 9 through 11. This is what Paul wrote. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind Governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. 
And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. There's a lot of really great things here. But I want you to notice that the victorious life that's led by the Holy Spirit has a desire to be Christ-like. You know, the victorious life that's led by the Spirit, that's describing sons and daughters of God instead of people who are enemies of God. They experience a kind of peace in their lives that only God can give. And they live a life that glorifies and pleases God. This is what a victorious life that's led by the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like. Now, having compared and contrasted the defeated life that's led by the flesh with the victorious life that's led by the Holy Spirit, Paul then gives us two key truths that help us live the life that God has called us to live. We see these truths in verses 12 and 13. We're going to use these truths and verses to wrap up the message today. Uh, The first of these truths is that Christians have the ability to resist the flesh. Christians have the ability to resist the flesh. Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, now there's that word again, so you've got to ask the question, what's it there for? Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So in other words, Paul is saying, be who you are in Christ, not who you were before Christ. Paul reminds his readers that they're no longer controlled by the flesh. And if they're no longer controlled by the flesh, then they shouldn't live a fleshy lifestyle. So if you're a Christian, with the Holy Spirit's help, you have the ability to reject and resist the desires of the flesh. You have the ability, with the Holy Spirit's help, to reject and resist the desires of your sinful nature. Well, the latter part of verse 13 says, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. This means to regard as dead the power that sin once had over your life. If you are in Christ, you're no longer under the authority of sin. You're under the authority of Jesus. Christians have the ability to resist the flesh, but we can only do that with the Holy Spirit's help. The second truth that we see at the end of this passage is that Christians should be led by the Holy Spirit. We should be led by the Holy Spirit. The end of verse 13 says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The key there is, if by the Spirit. How can we live a life that's led by the Holy Spirit? You know, this is such an important question and it probably deserves a message all its own. I think you can start by praying that God would give you a greater desire to hear and follow his leading in your life. Pray for an eagerness to do what the word says and pray for the wisdom to discern between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. One commentator uh, tried to define what it means to live a life that's led by the Holy Spirit. And he did that really in a sentence. Here's what he says. Being led by the Spirit means having the words of Christ in your mind having the love of Christ behind your actions, and allowing the power of Christ to help you control your selfish desires. So friends, the struggle is real. And if I'm honest with you, I don't know that I fully understand everything that Paul 
I wrote about in Romans 7 and 8. But I'm so thankful that he was willing to share his heart and to share his struggles so that we could know that there's hope. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we don't have to live a life that's led by the flesh. All right, We don't have to live a life that's led by our sinful nature, that inward struggle. Instead, we can walk with Christ. We can live for Christ. We can live the life that God has called us to live.